Blog Talk Radio.
Good morning, good morning, my friends. The opening music was by Save Vocal Group from the CD Native Angels by Save. Uh, it's a really great CD and has many spiritual songs with Native American instruments, Gregorian chanting, and other uh, just original Native American pieces. And I, I really love that CD. So if you want to order a copy, contact Save, S A V A E dot org. Uh, and I also have a phone number on them, 210-573-6335, in case you want to go to their live shows. And they're also on Facebook, and you can also listen to them for free on YouTube. And uh, I found the CD on Amazon, so if, uh, this particular one, they have a lot of other uh, music, too, and CDs, so you're welcome to it. And uh, good morning again. I'm your host, Reverend Sean McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created to provide an open-minded platform that focuses on the tenet that Sunday is a very special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible, and you may use any Bible you wish, of course. I have had many spiritual experiences, and at times will share them with you. I'll be also reading out of my book, Once in a While, Worth and Worship. And I'm almost done with that book, but... Uh, I'm looking forward to publishing, hopefully in the new year to come. And then we have ongoing Bible readings, and uh, that's what we're doing here every week, reading more of the Bible. And uh, the call-in number is 619-924-9744. Sacred Sunday, there is every Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Okay, for our opening prayer, let's do the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you. And, of course, we pray for... uh, all the Christians being persecuted worldwide, uh, I just find this, uh, when I think about it, 2,000 years of Christian persecution has still not stopped the Christians, and they're actually expanding worldwide. But we pray for those who freedom to worship and whose lives are in jeopardy. You know, please, God, just look overlook them, and I feel it in my heart sometimes. And we pray for all the suffering, the violence here at home and abroad alike. We pray for those suffering from domestic violence in their own homes and freedom from addiction of all kinds. Please, God, send your archangel, mighty archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect all of us in this world today and have your, all your angels watch over everyone and may God see into the hearts of those who suffer and help them. And then we also, our prayers go out to all those who suffer in the world, including animals who can't speak for themselves. And we could never, never seem to do justice to the animals. And we pray that they don't suffer. And I hear new stories every week of some other horror, but the scene is being brought around our children and elders, and it seems like those that are hopeless and helpless. And please, God, look over everyone. We pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers. They have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all the countries and problems throughout the world and all the suffering in this world. You know, please alleviate it, God, and help people find a way out. And also... Help people be comforted when they have nothing. We have them be comforted by you in your presence, Heavenly Father. Thank you, God. Amen. We ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care and 
to learn more and more about the Bible and about ourselves and to continue to grow and to uh, love those around us and our families and try to forgive faster. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want to wish everybody today a very happy birthday, including my little uh, third cousin, JT. He's in Arizona, and he's a really fabulous young man, and I love you, JT, and I wish everybody else uh, a very, very, very happy, happy birthday and anniversary, and God bless you for the whole week ahead and also for prosperity and health for the year ahead. So today, you know, the call in to listen number is 619-924-9744. And two, I'm using the Ryrie Study Bible, uh, but there's also two online Bibles if you don't happen to have one. So www.biblegateway.com and also www.biblia.com. Now, last week, we were uh, in chapter... Excuse me. We're in chapter 20. And uh, I'm going to do a little review of chapter 20, and then we'll go on to read uh, today's chapter 21. So we're still in the Acts of the Apostles. And I go to this website, and um, this is where I get a lot of information and summaries. And uh, the summaries done here are actually by uh, students uh, for, uh, I think this is Harvard. Anyway, it's called smoop.com. And it goes through, uh, they do it together, and they come up with a summary. So here it is. Paul and Philippi. After all the craziness dies down, Paul leaves town to travel a bit more. He winds up in Philippi, where he celebrates Passover with, with traveling buddies. One day, Paul is discussing stuff with his companions and keeps going on until midnight. I remember, I can't pronounce his name E-U-T-Y-C-H-U-S. Remember, he's dozing off during Paul's long, long speech and falls out the third-story window. Anyway, so everyone, they thought he was hit, hit. He was dead, but Paul goes down and checks the body, and he's not dead. Anyway, he goes back upstairs and keeps talking all night till the sun came up. And then, uh, so, so at the end, Paul leaves town, and he talks with the church elders and Ephesians, He's actually telling them, I'll, I'll never be back. And uh, he's, he's actually explaining himself how he never took charity and supported himself on all his missions. But um, they all realize that the issue is, is uh, Paul's moving on. He's never coming back. So we're going on to um, chapter 21 today, which continues. You know, uh, you know Luke, who, re- who wrote this, is... a uh, really amazing as he gets so many details and um, I really love Luke's writings and the way he is as a person and uh, I'm I was born Greek Orthodox and which I still believe but of course you know I have my own beliefs too so anyway uh, a little bit more liberal here but uh, what I'm saying is is that uh, even Luke of the Old Testament, he's the one who is considered the artist, the doctor, and also the the really intelligent one. So it's interesting to read Luke's Acts. He's very detailed to this whole thing. He gives you cities, times, you know, miles, and everything else. But anyway, let's move on to chapter 21. So it's chapter 21, Acts 21. When we had departed from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to coast, as spelled C-O-S and the other day to Rhodes, and there from to Petara. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. 
When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed in Attire, where there was a ship to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples, excuse me, after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days were there had ended, we left and started on our journey, while they still, with all the wives and children, exhorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the, on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and we returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Poltimus, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day we left and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. We stayed with them. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as we were staying there some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but to even die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. Paul with the church at with Jerusalem at the church. After these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Mason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James, and the, all the elders were present. After he greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who we had believed, and they were all zealous after the law. And they had been told about you, that you are the teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They certainly hear that you have come. Therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which have been told about you. And that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood what was that was from what was strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple giving notice of the completion of days of purification until a sacrifice was offered for each one of them. The journey to Rome, Paul's arrest and defense. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and lay hands on them, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all the men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled, defiled this holy place. Oh, my God. Wow. For they had 
previously, previously, hold on here, please. But they had previously seen Trophimus and the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, taking hold of Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once he took he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran it down to them. And when they saw the commander, the soldiers, and the soldiers, they stopped beating him Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of them and ordered him to be abound with two chains and began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowds, some were shouting one thing and some another, and when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought to the barracks. When he had got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, for the multitude of people kept following them, shouting, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? And then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago I'm I'm sorry, let me start again. Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led four thousand men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus and Sicilia, a citizen of no insignificant city. I beg you to allow me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul standing on the stairs mentioned to the people motions excuse me, to the people with his hands. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I am persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into uh, prisons. And also the high priests and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were in the Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Because remember, he was Saul before he turned into Paul. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said and he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. And those it's just giving a chills. And those who were with me saw the light, and to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on to Damascus. There you will be told of all that is appointed for you to do. But since I cannot see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by a hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well-spoken, of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that time, very time, I looked up at him. The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear in utterance from his mouth. 
for you will be a witness for him to all men of who you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling out on his name. And it happened when I was returned to Jerusalem and was praying to the temple that I fell into a trap. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that one that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was also standing by approving. Wow, this is just hard to admit, isn't it? And watching out for a coat of those who were slaying him. And then he said to me, let's just read that again. Your witness Stephen was being shed. The blood of witness Stephen was being shed. I was also standing approving and watching out for the coats of those who would be slaying him. And he, I guess he was holding the coats and standing by while Stephen was sacrificed. Uh, and he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he did not, he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, and the commander ordered him to be brought to the barracks, stating he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. But when they stretched him out on the list songs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and under uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you about to do for this man is a Roman? The commander came and said to me and him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired this I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him. And the commander also was afraid that he found that when he found out he was a Roman. Wow, do you realize I'm reading right through twenty one? <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so wrapped up in the story. We just read 22. So, uh, <laughs> oh boy, oh, that's dramatic. Therefore, let me finish it and then we'll just read it again next week. Sorry, Pete. Therefore, those who were about to examine immediately let go of him. The commander was afraid when he found out he was a Roman. So I'll read the next next week. Uh, I just kept going. I was so uh, excited about this story. Wow. Anyway, let's go back and read the notes of 21. Luke obviously enjoyed describing a sea voyage. His, his masterpiece comes later in 27. So when we get to 27, we're going to be reading what Luke has to say about more about the ship. So Philip the Evangelist was previously mentioned, you know, before. Agabus, presumably the name of one of the who prophesied of the famine, had come to Jerusalem, the great famine. Likely they acknowledged that it was the Lord's will or call to go to Jerusalem. So now we're up to 2020. The old division reappears. And then, you know, this is going to be happening over and over, and it still happens today. There is a division. Paul proclaimed that circumcision was not necessary to be saved, but the report that he told Gentiles not to circumcise their sons deliberately twisted Paul's words to foster animosity. Pay their expenses. Paul was being asked to pay the expenses involving the offering required at the completion of the Nazarene vow these four men had taken. He was urged to take actions that would indicate that he was, after all, the middle-of-the-road Jewish Christian. 
Wow. Anyway, so that was a very exciting chapter, and uh, we'll go on to read uh, 22 next week. I do have um, a couple of things that I'd like to um, read to you. Let's see. This one thing is, uh, uh, before we go to our little uh, guide post, um, there's uh, this book, and I usually keep it in my office at work, but I wanted to, to read it at home too. So it's uh, by Philip Parham, and it's called Letting God. And uh, it's a Christian meditation for recovering people. Uh, so let's read today's today's offering. So this is November. Let's see. Okay, it's November 16th. Um, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. That's actually from Luke uh, 19:41. At the beginning of the class in college, a professor asked about his missing student. He was told that the absent student's mother had just died. When the professor asked for the show of hands for those who had lost a parent, several hands went up. The professor said, you students, please write notes of comfort. You know what it's all about. Loss must be experienced in order to be shared. It must be shared in order to be heard. A little boy made a special Christmas ornament for his parents. On the way out of school with his gift, he dropped it and shattered it on the pavement. He immediately screamed with grief at his loss. His father rushed his side and said, Hush, son, be quiet. It's all right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But his mother, more acquainted with his deep moments, took the sobbing boy in her arms and said, Oh, it does matter. It does matter a great deal. And she wept for her son's loss and added her tears to his. Grief is a profound part of recovery and new life. Tears of regret, remorse, despair, water the roots of love, and life itself. To deny and avoid the hurt and pain of life's losses is to negate life's importance. To fail to cry is to fail to live. St. Paul said, who we're just reading about, weep with those who weep. Blessed Jesus, join me in this sorrow and let my tears show my love. Amen. Gosh, that was just beautiful. Okay, so I don't know what story and guidepost I'm going to pick today, so I'm just going to go. Pick one randomly. Okay, so let's see here. Okay, so I just came upon a little story, and this is called Partners in a Dream. It's by Massa Hawkins of Montgomery, Alabama. My eyes were barely higher than the long, broad stretch of Butcher Block counter. My mother worked over in the kitchen of our rural Alabama house. Her hands moving like magic, chopping okra, snapping peas, seeding peppers, stripping corn. Each action, each movement was deft, with a confidence that can only come from the love of your work. My mother loved cooking the way some people love poetry. As she worked, she often hummed hymns and spirituals, a deep resonant counterpoint to the darting movement of her dark gifted hands. I watched everything she did, and I learned, I dreamed, someday... Someday I told people, I'm going to open a restaurant where folks can come and sit and talk and eat good, honest food, enjoy ourselves, just as if we were coming over to my house. This was my dream. Most of the people knew me, including my sons, smiled indulgently whenever I spoke of it. Mama, they asked, how are you going to do that? The answer hung in the air like a wordless accusation. How am I going to do anything when I can't even take care of myself? There was a time when my dream seemed as far away as the moon. My life had taken some pretty hard edges. 
but none harder than the summer day of 1979 when I sat on the edge of my bed and stared at a handful of sleeping pills. We lived in Montgomery's teeming Trent home, home housing project. But that steaming gray morning, I could hear nothing but the silent, taunting pain of my own life. I was 31 and tired. So tired, I would just wanted to sleep forever. I was married when I was 16. I cried like a baby on my wedding night because it was the first time I had ever been away from home. I was the youngest girl of 12 brothers and sisters. My father was a farm laborer, so we were poor and depended on my mother's poetry in the kitchen to keep the soul and body together. My mother always managed to keep us healthy and fed, and the Lord provides, Martha, was the only explanation I got. I had four boys and a divorce degree by the time I was 23. My husband, so my husband, who was in the Air Force, and I had drifted apart. After all, we had been so young when we started. Martha were just not the same two people anymore, Reuben told me. I started working at all kinds of jobs that were left for a woman who drops out of school in 10th grade. I cleaned houses for a while. I was a seamstress. Then I got a job working in a glass factory that prayed pretty well and enough shifts to open so I could juggle raising my boys and earning a paycheck. But it was a terrible struggle. As the years passed, I felt myself giving out. The financial strain of single parenthood and all the worry of protecting my children from, from other people and other children where we lived, it scared me something awful. My health began to deteriorate. I developed kidney problems. My appendix ruptured. It was one thing after another. I started to feel tired all the time. I remember a morning when I just lay in bed staring at my sons and able to move. It's all right, Mom, my oldest Sean said, and I will help you. There's not a child's place to care for his mother. You're a failure, Martha, I began to chide myself. Eden Church, which always been my refuge, could no longer comfort me. I stopped going, telling myself that my faith had never amounted to much anyway. Like everything else about me, I thought, I was even a disappointment to God. There was a horrible ache inside me, someplace no doctor or medicine could touch. I cried for days at a time, refusing to leave the house. In 1976, I was hospitalized for a nervous breakdown and received electric shock therapy for depression. I still sank deeper into despair and self-blame. I went on disability and public assistance. Martha, look at yourself. You haven't done a thing with your life but fail. Then came that day in 79 when I gulped down a handful of pills and back in on my bed. I was hoping never to wake up again. It seemed so easy, so right. No pain, I thought, as the cold smothering of greatness overtook me. The next day, I knew Sean was standing over the bed in the school book saying, Mom, Mom, Mom. They rushed me to the emergency room where the doctors pumped my stomach. When I woke up with a Greel Memorial Psychiatric Hospital, I felt more like a failure than ever. One afternoon, a few days later, I was sitting alone in my room when I pulled open a drawer in the nightstand. Inside was a pale blue Gideon Bible. I knew about the Bible, but I had never really sat down and read it. I mean, really read it. I picked it up out of the drawer and dropped it on the bed where it bounced open. Isaiah 61. A verse jumped out at me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What does that mean? I felt scared. I flipped the Bible closed. It fell open again to the same verse. I picked up the book and it felt so good in my hands, so solid and alive. 
I didn't want to let go of it ever, and I started to read. Day in and day out, I consumed the Bible, ever-cleansing, life-changing word in it. And it consumed me, my, like my new love. I could not get enough. When my doctor, Dr. Case, visited, I told him, there's nothing you can do. I have to help myself because I am the problem. Well, isn't that the truth? Then pointing to the Bible, I said, this is my solution. As I read the Gospels, I began writing letters to Jesus. I called them love letters and emptied my heart of all its sorrow, fear, loneliness, and shame. How could I ever have tried to take my own life? Christ had already done the dying for me so I could live. When I was finally released from the hospital, I returned to the housing project and to welfare. But I was way all, well on my way up this time. I found some part-time work, and before me I saw a woman, a dream of watching my mother in the kitchen and a cozy old house, my house, where the folks could come over and sit and talk and eat and honest food, get honest food. God had renewed my dream, and I talked about it to everyone I could. That was when my boys smiled and just shook their heads, Mama. But they didn't think it was so bad when I drove up to college and gave them and their friends some home cooking. I'd get half the campus looking for a meal. When I cooked, I felt whole. I felt part of creation. With three of my boys on college scholarships, I decided it was high time I did something to my own, for my own education. So I went back to school and got my GED. I took some night courses at Troy State University. I kept thinking about that restaurant and talking about it, but it makes it takes lots of money to start a business. And I was barely getting on by cleaning houses. I applied for loans at some of the local banks with no luck. One manager said to me, Martha, what you need is a business partner, someone to handle the financial side of it. I told him I already had a partner, God, and that he would look after what I couldn't do for myself. Through my cleaning, I met a nice lawyer, Calvin Pryor. I told him about my dream. One day he led me over to 458 Sayer Street, a beige frame house at the turn of the century, a bit down on the hills, but solid, definitely solid and familiar. It was a house for my dreams. It was a bit run down, Martha. It'll take work, but you can rent it free for a while until you get on your feet. I saved money and brought paint, paper, and a little at a time and went to work. I ran out of paint. I baked a couple pies and sold them. Another gallon. My sons and other relatives began hiding from me on weekends for fear I pressed them into service, and I did too. I combed the yard sales for tables, dishes, chairs, service, silverware, and I sewed napkins and curtains. There was times when I felt low, and it seemed that I never got my dream. I remember one day when I sat down on the floor and just cried until I cried myself dry. Then I remembered Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I got my Bible, I put it down on the floor, right there in the middle of the table. I sat in the middle of the half-paper dining room. I slipped off my shoes and carefully stepped up on my Bible. Lord, I cried out loud, I'm standing here on the foundation of your word. You love me. I am not alone. The Lord had promised that he would be with me. I could never let myself forget that promise. With him I could do all things, but only with him. Can you imagine she's standing there with her bare feet on top, standing on top of her Bible, praying to God. On a fine day in October 1988, Martha's Place finally opened for business, and we've been going strong ever since, giving people that kind of good, nourishing 
Southern home cooking that I learned from my mother and she from hers. I still have problems some days, but they are good problems. The problems of running a successful business. You see, I'm no longer the problem. I am blessed, blessed, blessed. Every morning at 4 o'clock, I'm in my kitchen chopping greens, baking cornbread, and boiling turnips. It is the most peaceful hour of my day. And when I'm alone with my cooking and alone with my Lord, because I work, I feel the Lord. The work is His gift to me, and I feel the food in my hands, and I feel His blessings through me. I want my customers to feel that too. There's nothing fancy about Martha's place, but it's mine, mine and my partner, who is her Heavenly Father. I love that story. It's so strange that um, that her name's Martha. Martha is my mother's middle name, and my poor mother had a deep and and horrible nervous breakdown uh, in the early 60s, and I loved her so much, and uh, she did, uh, my mother did um, have to get shock treatments and um, things for her terrible, terrible depression. It would not let go of her, and uh, I remember I was only 17, but I had to take her for the shock treatments, and I remember seeing my poor mother come out of the uh, doctor's office, you know, we had, she had false teeth, but I would take care of her teeth while she went in, and the poor thing would come out with jelly on each side of her head and no, and no teeth and looking dazed, and, you know, I had to do that a few times to save my mother's life. It really did. Not that I believe in that kind of treatment or anything else, but uh, what happened is it saved my mother's life because they were going to put her away, and my mother is still alive today, and she's she's doing well and has overcome a lot, and a lot of people don't know that about my mother, how much she's overcome, and you know, she goes to church three times a week, and she's a very grateful woman. And uh, I just want to, uh, God bless her for that, and God bless all of our mothers. And Heavenly Father, please keep looking over my mo- for my mother and watching out for her. Um, she just had a stroke. And also, another uh, thing that happened before I hang up is that um, I did get sick recently. And uh, I haven't told many people about it, but I just want to thank God because um, I had uh, a very uh, strange uh, thing happen, and uh, I had a dream about that uh, I was I was somebody in a dream was guiding me down a hallway, and after and I didn't want to I didn't I wanted to give up you know I said my arthritis hurts me I'm tired, and uh, and he said no keep coming come on let's go and he was just like a regular average guy in a khaki suit with a black belt. He was kind of walking backwards once in a while, and he was telling me, encouraging me, come on, keep going, keep going. And uh, then I rounded the corner, you know, I said, okay, I'll keep going. He says, come on, you're almost done, so just keep going. And so I rounded the corner in the dream, and I saw paradise, I saw heaven. It was so incredibly beautiful, beautiful, that I said, oh, my God, out loud. And it woke me up. And then, uh, then four weeks later, I end up in, I, I didn't put this together until a couple of days ago, but four weeks later, I end up in um, the ICU in my, uh, unfortunately, my blood pressure was way out of hand. I mean, it was really bad, and I've never had poor blood pressure like that, but I had, you know, run out of, uh, I have no medical insurance, and that's just turned around because I, I did qualify and sign up for medical insurance and a new uh, plan. Uh, but uh, what happened is I didn't have any medication for uh, probably about three months, no heart medication, and they really 
was was terrible. And uh, my blood pressure was like 250 over 114, and I'd never had it in my life. But I realized, you know, the doctors gave me medicine right away, and it's brought my I feel so much better. A week later, it's like night and day. My blood pressure is back to normal, and everything's fine. But what I'm saying is that uh, I got a little notice, I guess, from God that your time is enough yet. You're getting close. You know, but just keep coming. Don't give up. And I'm going to ask each of us in our pains and our sorrow and our loss and our gains and, you know, because it's the good, the bad, and just, it's just life. And just keep coming forward. And just keep trying. Just keep going. And I ask you, please don't give up. Just keep going. I want to encourage you, like I was encouraged by my little guide in my dream, just to keep going. Just don't give up. Just keep going to the end. Anyways, love you guys for listening. God bless you so much. So let's read, let's, let's uh, say together our traditional ending prayer. After a moment of silent meditation, for those who are out there that are still sick and suffering or lost or into addiction or any other loss and problems and grief and health, after a moment of silence for them. Let's say the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And in closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms. You may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. We're never alone. Just remember, God loves you so much, and your baby, your best dreams come true, and true love live in your heart. You're welcome to message me, or you can just stay here with me every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Love you so much, and I appreciate, appreciate everybody that listens, and everybody tells me later they're listening, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people that I can see uh, that have been listening, and there's a lot of times I can't see everybody, but I want to God bless you, being so faithful, and I uh, love you guys so much. God bless you. Amen.